Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a foretaste of deliverance, looking to your son Jesus and his return. What a day that will be, but for now, Lord, help us to look back. Help us to look back on the nature of your salvation and how you redeem and how you deliver hopeless sinners. In that, Lord, would you give us a great deepening understanding of what faith entails? Would you help us to see more of how Jesus is our righteousness? He is our only hope. He is the only way by which we can find deliverance from our sin. And in that, Lord God, may we worship him much this morning. May he receive much glory and praise as we study your word. So guide us in this time by your Holy Spirit. Convict us where we need convicting. Comfort us where we need comfort. And in that, make us more like your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And again, Welcome to River City Church. I echo Brock's welcome to you here this morning. My name is Charlie Hogstead, and it's our job together here today to come together under God's word to set our affection and our attention upon Christ. And that's what we do week in and week out. We look to Jesus, we look to his glory, and we look to his greatness together. And it's an honor to do that with you. And, and, and the more that we do this, the more that we look to Jesus together, the more that we're going to start to look like Jesus. We're going to start to live like Jesus, and we're going to start to love like Jesus with those who are around us. And so I hope that you've been encouraged in those ways this summer. Uh, we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11, and in that we've seen a lot about what the true nature of faith entails. And as we study that, it should grow us up in our faith, it should mature us, it should help us, it should encourage us, and should point us more uh, to Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be in verse 29 of Hebrews 11. So Kessup and Barent, they have copies of God's Word. You can raise your hands, and they'll give you one. We're going to be on page 652, I believe, studying Hebrews 11, verse 29. We're also going to be looking at Exodus 14 uh, as well this morning for the backstory and the context for the verse that we're going to be studying. But as we do that, as, as, we, as we prepare to come under God's word, just imagine with me, if you would, even close your eyes if you want, just for a moment, what it would be like if we lived in a war-torn city. If we woke up in the morning and all around us we heard small arms fire, explosions, they were a normal part of life, where, where smoke would not only fill our lungs but would fill our skies. Just imagine if that was our reality children being born and they come into the world and they, they realize really early on that becoming a casualty is just a normal daily possibility for them. And so in Exodus 14, we see Israel in somewhat of a, a similar position. We see them caught up in this war between creation and its creator. And this war that has surrounded them for 400 years is just normal. And so they found themselves, uh, themselves in Egypt as God sought to make them a great nation. He, they, they were in this land where God protected them. He cared for them through a famine. He was making them into a great nation, and they were indeed, they were growing in number. And in fact, they were becoming such a large group of people that the people of Egypt actually freaked out. They were getting really worried that this large and growing group of people would, would someday overthrow them and, and change their way of life. And so they, they enslaved God's people. They used God's people to build cities, and so children, children were born into this, into this slavery, and they lived life as though this was a normal reality for them. And so we, right now, we were born into slave, enslavement as well. Apart from Christ, we were in love with the world. 
Apart from Christ, we were enslaved to sin. And even now as Christians, when we see how nasty the battle is between creation and the Creator, and when the world is overwhelming, we can be tempted to surrender. We can be tempted to go back to what we find comfortable, to what we find familiar, to return to our sin as sources of joy and comfort. And so if you used to love pornography, it still tempts you when you battle loneliness. If you love possessions, they still tempt you as a place where you can find joy. If you idolize what others thought of you, you're tempted to find comfort in their approval. And so we surrender to them because they are familiar, because they are comfortable. But Jesus, he came into the world, but the good news is he was never of the world, not in any way, shape, or form. And in his death, he defeated his enemies as he delivered God's people. And so now, by faith, as God's people, we stand firm as we go forward, and we watch. We watch as God defeats his enemies and delivers his people. And so, in short, that's our definition of faith for the morning. Faith is standing firm and going forward as God fights for his people. Standing firm and going forward as God fights for his people. So let's read Hebrews 11, verse 29. We're going to dive into the backstory and get some context, but first let's read our our one verse together this morning. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So if you're not familiar with all the history and all the backstory to that one verse, don't worry, we're going we're gonna to recap it here shortly. And it's all in the book of Exodus, which is an amazing book, it's an amazing read. We're going to look at chapter 14 specifically, but I'll recap it here in general for you. So God had chosen to, to make this group of people for himself, a people in whom he could show off the depth of his mercy and his grace and his love, and this group of people was called Israel. And they started really small, but they were growing, they were multiplying, and they got to be this really large group of people. And so God not only promised to build this great nation out of them, but to give them a land, a place where they could prosper. But here, again, we find Israel enslaved. And a man named Moses was chosen by God to deliver his people from slavery, to to take them out of slavery. And through Moses, we saw last week, God performed ten plagues against Egypt that showed off his power and his glory. And so after the the final plague where the firstborn would be killed unless the family put blood over the door, the king of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh, he relented and he decided to finally release God's people from slavery. And so if this was a Hollywood movie, this is where you would roll credits. You'd have a shot of all these people walking out with all their stuff and all their livestock. They're patting each other on on the back as they look forward to their happily ever after. But unfortunately, that's not what happens. They had been in slavery their whole lives. They had known nothing other than serving Pharaoh under these harsh conditions. And as they left Egypt, as they left Egypt, it's like they were waking up for the first time and realizing that they were in a war. That they were about to see what was really taking place in this battle between creation and the Creator. And so as they leave Egypt, as they're finally set free, God actually directs Moses on where to take the people of God, to camp out. And Moses follows his directions perfectly, and he puts them in a place where they were trapped on one side by the wilderness and on the Red sea, by the Red Sea on the other side. And so in Exodus 14, verse 4, we see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh reverses course, 
He decides that letting this large group of people go was a really bad idea, so he gets his really large army up and running, and they start their pursuit of God's people. But in all this, it was God's plan. He was using his people as a trap in this instance to gain glory over Egypt, to destroy them, so that they would know, it says twice in in, uh, Exodus 14, that they would know that the God of Israel was the Lord. And so we have Pharaoh bearing down on God's people with his powerful, well-equipped army. The people of God are freaking out. They are panicking, realizing they've woken up in the middle of this cosmic war with the world's most powerful army bearing down on them. And they have nowhere to go. It's like the United States Army going after Myanmar. We're going to get you guys. You've got nowhere to go. And so God's people, they were stuck. And they're freaking out. And then they respond. They, they cry out and they say this. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so many of the enslaved, they didn't even want to leave in the first place. And now they find themselves trapped with nowhere to go. But Moses tells them this. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So the Lord, he tells Moses in that moment uh, to stretch out his hands over the sea and to divide it, and that the people, they would walk through on dry ground. And so over the course of that night, a strong east wind, it came, it divided the waters, and the people, they went through. They went through with walls on both sides. And as the Egyptians chased after them, God threw them into a panic. He clogged their wheels so they couldn't drive their chariots. And they said, the Egyptians, they got it now. They see what's going on. They realize what's happening. Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. God was going to gain glory over his enemies. And they're seeing what's up. And so Moses stretches out his hand over the water again, and the water crashes down. It swallows up Egypt, and they all died, and their bodies wash up on shore. The people of God, they see the the power of their Lord to deliver. And they woke up from their enslavement. They realized they were caught up in this battle between the most powerful nation on earth and the creator of of all the earth. They feared, and they freaked, and they panicked, and they complained that they were ever brought out of Egypt in the first place because, again, to them, serving as slaves was better than dying in the wilderness. But going back to what was familiar was better than following God in the midst of this battle for God's glory. But in those moments, the author of Hebrews tells us, they exercised faith as they took those steps into the Red Sea as they went forward and they saw, they saw firsthand God defeat his enemies as they were delivered from their enslavement. So, our first point this morning, with all that in mind, faith stands firm. Faith stands firm. And so, in Exodus 14, when when Moses tells the people to stand firm, what he's telling them is, resist. Don't give in. Make a stand. Rather than surrender, rather than retreating, stand your ground. 
But as, as we saw, they weren't really on board with leaving in the first place, and in their panic, they wanted to go back to what they knew. They wanted to go back to what was comfortable and familiar and to what felt good. And so as those, for us, as those who have been delivered from the world and its enslavement, we can still feel that pull. We can still feel that pull to go back to what's familiar. We feel the pull to go back to what feels good. We feel the pull to go back to enslavement. We have been woken up. We have seen that we are in the midst of a battle for our affection and for our attention. And we are used to the ways of the world, right? We loved it. That was what we knew. We loved our sin, and so now we are prone to going back to it. But what we're seeing here is that faith actually stands firm. When we're overwhelmed by the world, when we feel that, that pull to go back to our old ways of life, to our old sin, we make that conscious choice to, st- <clears throat> excuse me, to stand firm. We realize that we are caught up in the midst of this cosmic battle for our attention and for our affection. And so we resolve in those moments not to surrender, not to go back, not to give in to that former enslavement. And so, before you came to faith in Christ, you were in love with the things of the world. I know that because the Bible tells me so. So what were some of those things? Where did you find your identity? Where did you find your comfort? Where did you find your joy apart from Christ? Where did you find identity in the things of creation rather than in the Creator? In other words, where did sin enslave you? Where were you shackled and changed up? And, so, and, and in that, where are you prone to let it continue messing with you? Where are you tolerating sin rather than standing firm? Where are you submitting yourselves to slavery, willfully putting on those shackles in the name of comfort or in the name of familiarity? Because when we're overwhelmed by a sense of loneliness, pornography makes a lot of sense. When we're looking for joy and happiness in something, that new shiny toy might just do it. When we're feeling discontent and unfulfilled, maybe that, that big meal is going is to give you that dose of insulin that gives you that, like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm chill now. As a diabetic, I know what that feels like. So where does sin's enslavement seem better to you than Christ and the freedom that you have in him? Where is God calling you to stand firm, to not retreat, but to, 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 to make a stand against the world as it seeks to pull you back into its comforts, into its joys, into its identity? James 4.4 warns us that friendship with the world, it actually makes us enemies with God. And 1 John 2, a wonderful letter, 1 John 2 talks about, do not love the world or the things of the world. So these are real things that we deal with. These are things that are everyday things that just fly under the radar because we're used to it. And so what we're doing here is we're actually raising our consciousness to say, like, there's a war going on. It's trying to grab our hearts. We are, we are former enemies. We know what it's like to be on that side. Do we feel that pull? And are we standing firm in the midst of that? But again... Not only did Moses tell God's people to stand firm, but right after that rousing speech that Moses gave a minute ago to just just be silent, just watch the Lord fight for you. The Lord spoke to Moses and said this, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, 
stretch, your, uh, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. So faith stands firm, but we also see that faith goes forward. Faith goes forward. And so imagine yourself at the shore of the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides of you. You went from being stuck, and all of a sudden you have an out. Can you imagine those first few steps? There's no mud. It's only dry ground. Hebrews 11.29, it commends the faith of Israel as they, as they did that, as they took those steps into the Red Sea, as they took measures to escape their pursuers. And so they've seen this miraculous, powerful work of God to deliver them from their enemies, and, and they're trusting God as they go. These walls of water, I hope they don't come crashing down on us. And so for us, as God delivers us from the world that's pursuing our hearts, is pursuing our affection, is pursuing our attention, we're moving away from something, we're going through something, and we're moving towards something. And so for us, this account, it points us to the nature of salvation, what God does when he saves his people from the world and from their sin and from death. So we're no longer of the world. We are moving away from that which seeks to enslave us. We have turned our back on it, we've made our stand, and now we're going in a different direction. So we're moving through the water, we're walking on dry ground, we've got a solid path, we've got safe places to walk amidst all the danger and all the turmoil around us. And we are moving toward, we are moving toward a time when God's enemies are truly defeated. And when we as his people, when we experience that final deliverance from sin, But this requires steps in a direction. Away from something and through something and towards something. God's deliverance, his salvation, it puts us on a new path. We have an out that we didn't have before. And we're walking in a different direction from those who seek to enslave us, from those who seek to harm us, from those who seek uh, seek our hearts. And we're walking on that solid ground. For Israel... They walked as on dry land, Hebrews eleven twenty nine says. And when you think about that, that's pretty amazing. The new way in which we are walking is not muddy. It's not difficult to walk in. God removed every molecule of H2O from their path, which is crazy when you think about it. So that his people could move away from slavery, being delivered from sin, and moving toward redemption. And so we move. We take steps. And this is what the Bible refers to as repentance. Turning our backs on the world and all that it offers, and going forward, moving closer to Christ, drawing near to him. So we are resolved to stand firm. But at the same time, we don't stay in place. We move away from our old way of living as slaves, and we move toward a greater expression of the freedom we have now in Christ to worship him and to serve him and to obey him because we want to, because it's not slavery, it's not a hard path. So where are you scared to take those steps of faith? What are those thoughts going in your head as you stand at the shore of the Red Sea ready to take those, those first steps? Are you confident that God has truly delivered you 
from sin's enslaving power, from the world? What would it look like for you to move closer to God, to worship Him more, to trust Him as He takes you through that water? That's, again, on dry ground. I would like to suggest to you a a couple things this morning, if you'd allow me. We see in our passage from Exodus that uh, the Egyptians drowned in the sea, that it swallowed them up, that it consumed them. And so that was God's judgment upon his enemies in that moment. They died, their bodies washed up on shore, and we see from Exodus 14 that their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. The first the first thing I would suggest in taking those steps is asking God to give you a conviction of sin. That's the opposite of being hardened. It's, it's asking God to point out in your life clearly and specifically where you're being tempted to go back, where you're being tempted to surrender, what's trying to draw you away from a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's asking him to show you where would you rather, be, uh, where would you rather surrender and stand firm. That's something that we have as Christians, which is actually a good thing, for God to soften our hearts and to convict us. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That shows that God's judgment is not upon us. In fact, His judgment has been placed somewhere else. Conviction is not a bad thing. Ask God for it. It's terrible in the moment. But as we are convicted, what that drives us to is healthy confession. Telling right back to God, Lord, this is the ugly feeling I have in my gut. This is what I'm feeling right now about my choices, my decisions, where I'm trying to find comfort in this world. And I, 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 got, I, can't, I can't keep it here anymore. Confession is not a bad thing. It comes as the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. He makes us aware of where we're tempted to surrender to the ways of the world. And then it empowers us to say, Lord, this is where I'm at. Not like you don't already know because you convicted me, but I'm just telling you what you already know. That's not a bad place to be. Third, I'd advise you to bring that to light in community. Tell somebody. Tell somebody you trust. I've had to confess some sin to people, um, and it's a terrible feeling. One time I was, I knew I just had to do it, and I was trying to lay down and take a nap, and I could not. Because right about here, there was like just twisting of some sort. Hard to describe, but I could not fall asleep. I could not do anything until I got up and went and confessed. One of the scariest moments of my life. I didn't know what people would say. And as a pastor, I've heard some confessions, and I used to think that I've heard everything. But I am, I am still very naive to the ways of sin in this world. As a fly tries to bite me. I've heard some amazing stories of depravity and sin. One guy sat us down like, I'm just, I just got to tell you. And he did. And I was surprised. But from there, we saw him walk in the light. We saw him walk with a level of joy and peace that he had not experienced literally in years because of that wrench on the heart that would just twist in him. You know? And so ask God to convict you of sin. Confess back to him. Tell him what he already knows. Agree with him. And then tell somebody else who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can help you. Now that might seem a lot because I had my my jaw on the floor moment before when people told me stuff, and you might too. What What do we say in those moments? What do we go back to 
when somebody is telling us those things? What empowers us to actually confess back to God where we're actually at? Because if somebody came up to you and laid everything out, that'd be a really difficult spot to be in. But that's what God has called us to as his family. That's how we live together as a family. We not only do that ourselves, but we receive it from others. So what do we do and what do we say? So Exodus 14 again, the last verse in that chapter. Again, Israel's crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They've seen the enemies of God defeated. They've seen the bodies on shore. And this last verse uh, goes a little something like this. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So what do we do with that conviction? What do we do when we confess our sins or somebody confesses to us? We see, as Israel did, we see the great power of God, and we believe in his servant. In this case, Moses points us to Jesus Christ as our mediator. That's the first song we sang this morning, mediator. We believe in his servant, Jesus Christ, who is our redeemer, who is our deliverer. And so we point one another to Christ. Before he started his earthly ministry, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. And he was tempted. And in one of those temptations, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus responded, Be gone, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. When Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, he did not even consider that for one split second. Instead, he chose to worship God. He chose to serve God. And so he stood firm for us in the midst of that temptation. And he went forward from there into his ministry where he displayed the glory and the power of God as Israel is supposed to do but never really did. And in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus has made a way for us to be delivered from sin. When we were stuck, when we were in a position where there's no other way, we had no other out, we see that through faith in Jesus Christ, we find deliverance. We find freedom from sin's penalty and sin's power because Moses spread out his hands, but Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross and they were spread out so that people like us could have a way of escape when there was no other way. And so when we put our faith in Christ, when we believe in him as our deliverer, then we are no longer enslaved. We pass through the waters of salvation that cleanses us from sin's stain. It removes sin's power. In Romans 6, 15 through 23, it says it like this. This is a long passage, but it's on the screens. Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things, our worldliness, our enslavement, our sin, the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We turn our backs on something, we go through something, and we are going towards something. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that, you've been delivered. If you believe that, you have found the only way to escape sin's penalty and its power. Romans 6, 11, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We consider the reality that we have been set free from sin and we become slaves of God. We are slaves of righteousness. That we have this eternal life. And so that's what we tell ourselves. That's what we tell other people when our jaws are on the floor. We're not surprised as much as we used to be by the world's power, by sin's power. But we have a greater appreciation, a greater understanding of God's power to deliver. When everything seemed impossible, he made a way. So faith, it stands firm as it goes forward. We move away from what was familiar. We move toward our Savior. We move to be more like Him, more like our Deliverer. And if we fast forward, we see that our final deliverance from the very presence of sin is yet to come. And the final destruction of God's enemies is yet to come. Because at the final judgment, all the enemies of God, they're going to be thrown into a lake of fire. They're going to be consumed and they're going to be swallowed up. And all the people of God were going to be ushered right into his glorious presence. And then, just like Egypt, we're going to know that the God is Lord. We're not going to have anything else impeding our view. It's going to be pretty spectacular. Revelation 22, 1 through 5, God shows us there's going to be a river of the water of life. It's going to be bright as crystal, flowing from the the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Oh yeah, and by the way, on on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree, they're for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. No need for light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And so that idea of nothing being accursed, I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we woke up in the middle of a war. But we we know, we know from God's word that the power of sin has already been broken. Its penalty has already been paid on the cross. And one day, its very presence will be removed. Tim Keller, he's a a really smart, encouraging pastor from New York City, once said, 
We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the very presence of sin. One day, we're going to awake to a place and a, uh, where there's peace and there's joy that we've never known before. When we awake to see that the, the war is over, that sin's penalty, its power, and its presence has been removed. That's what we had to look forward to. And so now, as God's people, we live as the delivered. We stand firm, we go forward, and we just watch. We watch as God delivers his people and defeats his enemies. One day we're going to experience that in full, but for now, we need one another's help. We need help to remember that we are the delivered, that we are the redeemed, that we are moving away from something and we're going through something and we're going towards something. That's what we need each other to remind one another of. One day we will see Jesus, we will be in his presence, but for now, we look to faith as standing firm, going forward, watching as God defeats his enemies. So let's pray as we consider those things for our lives together. Lord God, <clears throat> we give you great praise this morning for the reality that Israel walked on dry ground. That is truly amazing, Lord God. That in your redemption and in your deliverance, you remove everything that would hinder us from salvation. You remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. Would that amazing reality this morning give us great joy in our hearts? Would it, would it well up within us great worship for Jesus, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Redeemer? Holy Spirit, as we look to Him this morning, would you make us more like Him? Would you convict us? Would you show us where we're tempted to surrender? And by your Spirit, Lord God, by your Spirit, would you help us to stand firm? Would you help us to go forward as those who have been delivered? Would you give us strength? Would you give us energy? Would you give us all that we need to continue moving toward that great and glorious day when we see you as you are? Father, give us the confidence in your Son that we need in order to confess to one another. May that be happening this week. And may our confession be met with your Son. May we point one another to Jesus' work to deliver us and to free us and to redeem us and to, to take us from our uh, enslavement and to make us free. We trust that you're going to do those things because you tell us you do far more than anything we could ask or think. And so we trust you again. Help us to live by faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.